month, well, it's been about a year and a month ago, a guy down in Florida entered a contest to see who could eat the most live cockroaches. Yeah, joy to the world, right, yeah. And the winner would get a live python. Oh, great. Yeah. And the guy won, but he choked to death and died on the cockroaches. And I was sitting around wondering, what part of that deal seemed like a good idea to this Bubba that he would want to sign up for it? I, I, I mean, have you ever done anything that just, you know, you said to yourself at least, oh man, that was stupid, right? Come on. Now, you, uh, let me give a little mass confession here. If you've ever messed up when it comes to your physical health or your spiritual health, or if you've ever said something dumb, if you've ever made a foolish relational choice or romantic selection, if you've ever been less than insightful about time management or goal setting or parenting or television viewing, or you've ever tried to do with a bad knee a wheelie on a bicycle, I won't say who, but someone sitting over to the left, I, I know who, and tear up a, a bad knee already, or have you ever made a decision with the help of hindsight that you would characterize with the word dumb? Just raise your hand, because that ought to be every hand in this room, unless you're a little infant. Yeah, we've all made them. We've all done it, and we've all said that. What a dumb choice. And we've watched the news and said, what an idiot, right, with people. Uh, so, we make decisions, and then the decisions we make, make us. What I say, what I think, what I eat, what I read, where I go, who I'm with, what I do, how I work, when I rest, adds up to millions of little decisions, and what you get is called life. Proverbs 4, verse 7, wisdom is the principal or the most important thing. God says wisdom is the most important thing. Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not smart. Proverbs 11, verse 9, by knowledge shall the just, those that have been justified, be delivered. You know, some folks could get out, of, could, could fix a bad marriage, fix a bad financial situation, fix a bad health. They could be delivered with wisdom. You know, if you just keep doing the same thing the same way, you keep getting the same result, right? If you want something you never had, you got to do something you've never done. So, by knowledge or wisdom, the just are delivered. This is part of the culture of Summit, and I say it about four or five times each year. The difference between people is usually their wisdom. The difference between seasons in your life is wisdom, something you didn't know. The difference between success and failure, wisdom. The difference between poverty and prosperity, wisdom. The difference between joy and sorrow, wisdom. The difference between your present and your future, wisdom. So you can't change your life until you change your wisdom. Wisdom or lack of it is creating the circumstances of your life and mine. It's important. If you're going to change your future, you've got to change what you know. The Bible has a word for people who navigate life really, really well, and it's the word wise. Not lucky, not wealthy, not even successful. Wise. Wisdom in the Bible is not the same thing as having a high IQ. You can have a high IQ and have no street smarts whatsoever. Wisdom is not restricted to people with advanced educational degrees. 
There are people who are running corporations and Fortune 500 companies that don't have only a high school education. So it's not got a thing to do with that. The book of James, it says, God wants you to have wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men liberally and will not withhold. So wisdom is a commodity anybody can have if you're willing to learn. It's that simple. So wisdom in the Bible is the ability to make great decisions. Wisdom is the art of living well. Proverbs 17, verse 24 says, an intelligent man aims at wise actions. A fool starts off in many directions. Proverbs 9, verse 3 through 6. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Do you hear lady wisdom calling? Can you hear Madam Insight raising her voice? She's taken her stand at First and Main in the busiest intersection, right in the city square where traffic is the thickest. So, Lady Wisdom, and then there's a girl named Folly. She says the same thing. Let all who are simple, stupid, come to my house. And all through this Proverbs, this wisdom literature, you get a picture of two ways Two, two directions, two women. So I want, I want to help you to become a lady chaser today. And wives, relax. This is a good one. You want your husband to chase this woman. She's called Lady Wisdom. That's what the Bible calls her. And there is the opposite, Lady Folly. Now, Lady Wisdom is about wise choices, about who to be friends with how to learn and develop good work habits, speaking truth, handling finances well, taking care of your body, not doing a wheelie on a bicycle with a bad knee. <laughs> and what it leads to is a wonderful life. It does. The other woman is called folly. Hang out with the wrong people, enter a very unwise marriage with a high-risk person, neglect your physical life, let your finances slide, lose your integrity, and it leads to a place of destruction. Those are the two ways, the only two ways presented in Scripture. Every week I hear from people who in their relationships or how they deal with anger or how they dealt with money or what they do with their kids or how they neglect their families or how they just drift into absolute tragedy and disaster. So listen up. Lady Wisdom is crying out, the Bible says, don't go that way. Don't go down that path. Don't make choices in your everyday life that leave God out. Make up your mind you're going to follow Lady Wisdom. So let's talk about seven key areas of life, and then let me give you a proverb that gives us wisdom for that area. Real simple, take it home, use it instantly. First area of life, wise attitudes. An attitude is your approach to life. And by the way, you get, you get to choose your attitude. You're not born with an attitude. You choose it. You know, I don't want to pay somebody for a bad attitude. You can get that for free. You can change your attitude. Yes, you can, because it's a choice. Proverbs 10, verse 8, the wise are glad to be instructed, but the fools fall flat on their face. Two words that are used often in the book of Proverbs are the words simple and fool. The simple and the fool lack wisdom, but there's a big difference, and the difference is teachability. One, know, one doesn't know 
and it's foolish, uh, simple, but the other one knows but won't do because he won't, he won't be taught. He's rebellious. He's stiff-necked. So the question is, do I have a teachable spirit? Am I open to correction if and when I get it wrong? Or do I stiffen up and get defensive? Do I have a teachable spirit because that's the only way to be open to wisdom? You're, I don't care who you are, you're going to be wrong sometime. Are you possessed with the ability to be teachable? See, no matter how smart you are, if you get stiff-necked, if you don't have a teachable spirit, you close yourself off to wisdom. Can I say I was wrong? I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that one anymore. I'm not going to do that that way anymore. That's called wisdom. I'm going to smarten up. I was wrong. I made a I had bad information, I had a bad choice, uh, whatever the reason was, can I be corrected? Anybody can be corrected is going to be successful. And if you think just because you're, you're hot shot or you, you run your own business or church, I can be wrong and be corrected too. And a lot of guys that have just recently fallen, nobody could correct them. Who can tell you no? And I'm talking about if it's illegal, immoral, unscriptural, or unethical. Somebody ought to be able to get in your face and say, no. Don't do that. No, no, no. I'm not talking about your vision, your dream, your choices. Uh, that you get the last word on that. But if it's illegal, if it's immoral, if it's unbiblical, somebody ought to be able to rise up without being rebellious and say, no, Rick, we can't do that. I've just been with some people who made some choices that violated, uh, in another country, violated, uh, the, the, I'm going to say federal law, I don't know, it's a country, different, not America, and the result has been catastrophic. Nobody could tell the person, no, we can't do it. And if you're on a board, if you're on a team, if you're in a business, and they ask you to do something that's illegal, clearly illegal, uh, clearly unbiblical or, or immoral, you have every right to say no and say, without judgment, without causing any problem, I'm going to dismiss myself. I won't cause you trouble, but I'm not going to be complicit in this because then I stand accountable with a lawsuit. I stand, I stand I, because I'm complicit in it. No, God won't make anybody take away your choice, your conscience, your, your heart, your soul. You, no one has a right to violate the law, right? Well, uh, some folks do. And then they, want to, then they want to turn on the person that uh, led them that way, but they didn't speak up and they didn't say anything. Like, you're not saying anything right now. Okay. Wise initiative, number two. Wise initiative. Proverbs 19:24. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He won't even bring it back to his mouth. I mean, this person is so lazy, he puts his hand in a nacho bowl and decides it's not worth the energy to transport the nacho back to his mouth. <laughs> you will never grow by being lazy. The lack of action leads to loss of life. That's one of the ways folly is so powerful. One of the greatest devices folly has to get us to say later instead of no is procrastination. It's that someday syndrome. Someday is not a day of the week. All through Scripture it says, today, today, if you will hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Do it today. Never procrastinate. But we say, I'll get around to it. I'll get in shape. I'll start to pray the way I've always wanted to. I'm going to be generous when my financial life changes. I'll spend more time at home when things settle down at work. I'm in favor of wisdom, Rick, just not now. And people 
fail to follow the path of wisdom. They go to their graves in folly, not because they rejected wisdom, they just never got around to it. So the question is, do I procrastinate or do I initiate? A slave, a servant in the Bible, is told what to do. He cannot initiate. You do what you're told, only what you're told. We're sons in the New Testament. A son can initiate. If my teenage son, I don't have one, but if my teenage son sees the grass up over the bumper of my car, he can initiate getting a lawnmower cutting the grass. I shouldn't as daddy have to say, son, it's time to cut the grass. If you see something wrong, you can fix it. You can initiate. I love initiating people are the ones that survive plane crashes. They don't wait for a flight attendant, which is never going to do it anyway, to get on a mic and tell me how to exit and line. They jump over seats over people, and they jump out of any crack they find in the plane. They initiate action. I don't ever wait to be told what to do. It drives my wife crazy, but I initiate. I am not a good lineup and follow. You are allowed in the will of God to initiate. If you see a problem coming, you can initiate a solution. If the doctor tells you on your last visit, you know, George, you know, Bill, you know, Mary, you're, 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 you've gotten way overweight now, and your cholesterol's high, and you've got high blood pressure, and uh, you're on the verge of type 2 diabetes, and you say, okay, yeah, doc, and you leave, and you don't initiate, are you going gonna to wait till you have a heart attack, and you're rushed to the hospital to start your treatment? when you could initiate in advance. I looked at my father when he was 58 years old, and I was 38, and I said, Ricky boy, you're going to look just like that if you don't make different choices than him. So I initiated choices. I said, I'm not going to do what he did like he did. And with five marriages, I said, Ricky boy, you need to make better choices than your daddy. And I did. I'm just saying, is this hard? Is this complicated? No, it's called wisdom. So initiate. If you see something wrong, fix it. If you walk by, you're a carpenter and you have your business or something, and you walk by a door and something's wrong or something's broken, and you slip up to me in a service and say, hey, I took care of that door. It's about to fall off a hinge. I might not have ever even seen it. I don't know if maintenance saw it. But you said, I've already taken care of it. My boys fixed it on Monday. Look out for it. You didn't wait and say, well, I wasn't asked to. Well, it's not my job. Well, I, I'm going to wait and get the elders to vote on it. Are you kidding me? Fix it. If you see it and you can fix it, fix it. Initiate. Initiate. People love that. Well, I just took the, I just took the initi- initiative to, to do this. I knew you were fixing to do that, so I initiated this. Come here, I love you. (laughs) Every leader would love you. Life will love you. Don't wait to be told to do everything. Initiate. Okay. Just, Just trying to go back to that point again. Initiative. Don't be lazy and hang around. Don't procrastinate. I think everybody died with good intentions. Well, I was gonna. Well, I hoped I would. Well, I thought about it. I knew I should. Every person I've talked to in a bad situation always told me, yeah, I knew. I shoulda. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. But they wouldn't. So initiate. You got a problem in your marriage? Initiate. Get some counsel. Get, sign up. We're, uh, well, let me, let me move on. I'll come back to that one in a minute. Number three. 
This one you'll get your attention this morning. Wake up. We'll talk about sex. Why is sexuality? Why is sexuality? Yes, sir, I'm a good model. Uh-huh. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's erotic language, folks. That's how you make babies. Let, some of you think, well, that must be a little garden fountain. No, 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 no. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. I guarantee you 90% of Christians read that and ain't got a clue what that just said. Not a clue. And notice it doesn't simply say don't get divorced. It just says rejoice. Arrange your relationship in such a way you take delight in it. Take fun in it, pleasure in it. We don't usually read verses like this in church, but it goes on to say, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. (laughs) And all the men said, amen. It's okay to have fun. It's not about procreation only. It's about fun and pleasure. That's why God made you that way. And men are visual. And I'm just wondering how far to go into this thing here. I, I, I mean, it's pretty erotic, and God designed it, and God said it's great. And, and of course, if my wife said, did you see? No, I didn't see anybody. No, I didn't see it. I thought maybe I saw an angel or something. No, honey, I didn't see a thing. Secret to a happy marriage, too. Did you? No. Men notice everything. 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 Don't let them. I don't mean, even Mr. Silent notices everything, too. Yeah, sure he does. Uh, we never read those verses when Baptist Church I went to. The Bible goes on to say regarding selection, don't base your selection of a life partner on superficial characteristics. Proverbs 11. Verse 22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman with no discretion. That's a a vivid way of saying don't get superficial when you think about something that matters as much as selecting a life partner. They got to be more than hot. They have to have intelligence and integrity. And God's saying whether it's male or female, He's not saying marry somebody ugly. He's saying, look beyond just physical attraction. Have they got any character? Are they nuts? Is this person a hunk, a hunk of burning love, or is he going to be a good father and a good husband? That's that's all. And there are plenty of people I know who could get up and say, yeah, I I made a bad choice on that one. Well, sure. Well, don't make it a second time. Look beyond hot. Hot goes pretty fast after you get that downhill slide. It for, for girls and guys, it slides on down the, the deal there. I love the vivid deal. A, a beautiful, expensive gold ring and an old pig snout is a hot woman that shows no discretion. So God says, I'm pleading with you. If you're married, guard your love. Value the relationship. Evaluate it. Learn. Fight for it. If you have to, work for it. Pay whatever price you have to pay. Don't let your marriage go down the tubes and then say, well, I'll just invest my emotions in my work or my achievement or in money. Don't do that. Get whatever help you need if you're married. Now, I say this to help the men, not not to be uh, uh, controversial. I just think it's transparency helps men. 
Every year we have a marriage seminar. This year, Dr. Jim Reeve and his wife Marguerite, who are coming from Covina, California, the end of June, to do a weekend with us. They have a mega church out there. I've known them for over 20 years. They're outstanding. He's an earned PhD, they, and they're they're just cool, fun people. You're gonna you're gonna like them. I I go to every one we've had. But here's the truth: I never wanted to go to one of them. Ask my wife. I'm all thinking, oh, shoot, got to go to that marriage thing. Yeah. So my flesh never wants to go sit in a marriage counseling thing. You know, it, if you said, we want to go to a car show, let's go. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can get a, are, are we going to go look at an airplane or something? Yeah, or a boat. Yeah. But, but marriage seminar, most men, most men, not every man, but most men would say, yeah, okay. But here's the thing. Two big things in it. First, it makes my wife happy that I care. At least she thinks I care. She, and number two, here's the truth. I always learn something. I always learn something that either I need to do better or might not have known, and I walk away with a little bit of wisdom, and it's always helped me. So I don't go because I want to go. I go because I need to go. And I'm trying to get you to go and sign up and put down your cash for that because you make investments in your big ostrich boots, you make investments in your car, you make investments in your toys and your TV and electronics. Well, make a flipping investment in a life partner marriage. Put a little cash down and make an investment in that because that's supposed to be till death do us part. That's the most important one you'll ever make. So if you're married, get whatever help you need. If you're not married and you plan to be, choose real wisely. Now, I, th here's a taboo, and I'm going to say it. It's not in my notes. What if a young lady becomes pregnant with a guy that she shouldn't marry? Well, Dr. John Stanford, who wrote the book, Healing a Wounded Spirit, taught me something 30 years ago because of the culture I came out of. It says, well, marry him. Don't do it. If the person was wrong before pregnancy, they're still wrong after pregnancy. And two wrongs won't ever equal a right. So you're going to do what's best for the girl, best for the child, but marrying a loser is not going to help anything. We did it in my generation to save face. Don't do that. That's, a, that's certainly a, a pardonable transgression. It happens quite frequently, and for parents, don't freak out. And then if you're engaged and it happens, just get married. Go ahead and get married. You come to my office, we'll marry you in two and a half minutes, then you can have a little celebration somewhere out there. We're talking about integrity and wisdom and doing the right thing. Yeah, I wish life worked great for everybody and perfect, but it doesn't. And so that's just a little by-the-way talk that I've picked up over the years in my own life and watching people and watching families. You're never going to get rejected by me. We've all made wrong choices, but I hope you don't keep making them. I hope you learn from them. Number four, wise speech. Proverbs 27, verse 15. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. <laughs> Folks, I'm just reading the Bible. I did not write this. And by the way, that goes to the other gender as well. Nobody wants to be around a quarrelsome person. I don't want to be a team member with a quarrelsome person. I don't want to be on a board with a quarrelsome person. I don't even want to be friends with a quarrelsome person. 
So especially in a marriage, if you're a quarrelsome wife, you, you become, well, let's see, God says, I'm like dripping on a rainy day. That's God talking. So you can learn not to do Well, my mother did it, and I guess I've got the same spirit she did. Well, you need to get delivered of that spirit because that'll put you in divorce court. Nobody wants to hang around uh, somebody that's always quarrelsome. Proverbs has a lot to say about our words. It says, in the mouth or in the tongue is the power of life and death, right? The mouth of the righteous is a life-giving fountain, but the words of the wicked hide violent intent. So the question this morning would be, are your words a life-giving fountain? Ask God every day, would you make my words life-giving and heart-strengthening and soul-building to everybody I see? I would rather have on a day of failure in my life a word of encouragement than an hour of praise in my success. That's when you need it, when you blow it, when you're down. Somebody says, I believe in you. I'm going to stand with you. We're going to put this setback and turn it around and make it a comeback. Those are life-giving words. Parents, don't ever say to your children, even in the worst circumstances, you'll never be anything, you'll never do anything, you'll never have anything, you're going to be in jail at 27. You, don't say that. The power of words releases a curse and power to shape the future of your children. You can say that action is wrong and unwise. That is not who you are, and that's not who God made you to be. God believes in you for much better of a life. Now, see, I've not condemned. I've rebuked a bad action, but I haven't thrown the kid under the bus or the person under the bus. And so, make your words life-giving. I, I think my wife would approve to, to say this, that because I wasn't raised in that environment, I wanted my girls to have it. And to this day, I believe in you. I pray for you every day, the favor of God over you. Uh, and I, I just quote, you know, 50 scriptures over those kids every single day. They better pray I live a long time. I mean, I just, I know God's sustaining them. Uh, at all times, and I pray that wisdom over them and favor over them. I believe in you. You've got this gift. You have this ability. And sometimes they're growing up, their behavior could be anything but that, but I still believe I shape their future by what I say as a parental authority, and I've lived to see it come true, and I believe you will too. But telling people, you, you know, just putting them down, putting them down, pretty soon in their heart they say, well, that's what they think I am. I'll just go ahead and be that. No, no, raise the bar to a higher standard. It may not pay off even in your lifetime, but it will pay off. And God promises so. My the seed of the righteous shall inherit the earth. They shall be mighty in the land. Wealth and riches shall be in their household. They shall possess the gates of their enemy. Great is the peace of my children, for they are taught of the Lord. I'm going to go like a jukebox and just go right down what God says about them. And sometimes I'm praying over them like, oh, Jesus, could that happen? Uh, you just wonder. You know, but that's what he said. He made some statements about the disciples and about Peter. And at the time, Peter's cussing, denying he even knew Jesus. But guess what? What Jesus said about him came true. So you speak that over your husband, too. Speak it over your children. Speak it over your wife. Speak it over your friends and loved ones all the time. Blessing, not curse. So Proverbs 17, verse 28 is a closing verse. Even fools are thought to be wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. That's how to look smart when you're not. Shut up. Just don't say anything. Number five, 
wise financial decisions. Proverbs 21:20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, this speaks about financial self-discipline. It's about delayed gratification when it comes to stuff. Don't spend all you make. Don't buy what you cannot afford. Don't put yourself in financial bondage. One of my mentors told me uh, 25 years ago, he said, Rick, don't ever finance your toys. Uh, you can finance your kid's college education. That's an, an investment. Finance your house. That's an asset. You know, maybe your, maybe your automobile. But don't finance your bass boat or your wave runner or your, your fishing equipment or your high-priced TV. Toys. And he said, here's why. If your job goes south, if the economy goes south, if the company has cutbacks and everything goes bad, you have an asset, not a liability. And you can sell it, convert it to cash. I sold one of my toys several years ago to pay for a wedding because it was an asset. It was paid for. So if you ever see me in a toy, there's no debt on it. I either had the power to buy it or someone gave it to me. But I will not finance a toy. Now, that was good advice for me. You take it or leave it for what you want. But I know a lot of people that are just mortgaged to the hilt. But don't do that. And those assets can be converted into cash when you have a shortfall. That's called, that's just good financial discipline. So don't buy what you can't afford. And remember, we all live on different economic levels. Don't try to keep up with anybody. Well, they got a new 80-inch Samsung flat screen and all. Well, yeah, but he may make twice the money I do. Live within your means, and you'll have less stress. I think financial bondage is just about as bad as slavery. It will beat you to death. And yeah, we all wish we, had, we could have more and all, but if you can't handle what you got, you're probably not ever going to have any more. So, so resist that temptation to keep up with anybody. Don't drop out of school so you can buy the car you want and get an apartment when you forfeit uh, maybe a million dollars in earning in a lifetime if you'd gone on to finish school, just so you could have a stupid car. It's going to break down and wear out on you just like anything else does. Anything's got parts in it, it's going to break, wear out. As soon as you drive off a parking lot with a car, they devalue at $8,000. You just drove off the lot, then it's, they just said, well, I don't know how much we can give you for that. You've had it about eight minutes. It's about $1,000 a minute. I'm telling them the truth, right? Okay. Learn from people who did it wrong and who know how to do it right now, so you don't have to make the same mistake. So delay the urge until you can afford it. Uh, when Cindy and I bought our home, we waited till we could afford it. And then it was naked. We had rooms naked. There was nothing in them. We, I couldn't run through the house naked like I do now because we didn't have drapes, didn't have anything. Didn't even have furniture. And we had no yard. We had no grass. We had no shrubs. We had no gate. We had no fence. That was 20 years ago. But we set a goal. We'd set aside this part, and here's that phase one. Phase one is this, and here's the price tag. We'd save and save. And then, boom, we could put it in. And then we'd save and save for phase two. And it'd take years. Boom. We'd get it done. And then somebody drives up and say, well, I, they think you did it yesterday and just bought it all. I said, no, this sucker has been emerging for 20 years. 
and that way there's no bondage to it. It didn't look pretty. It looked pretty bad. And so it's just little by little by strategic planning on that. So learn to save some of your income. Store up. If you just got a job and it's minimum wage, you barely uh, saving, I don't think, is, is even possible with the tax today. But it is possible in time. You're going to earn more than you spend. So learn to save part of it. Build margins in your life. There are, things are going to break down. Unexpected bills are going to come in. It's going to happen, and you want to have some margins in there, right? Don't don't live on every dime you make. Save a little, put a little back so you can cover the unexpected. And man, there's a lot of unexpected, right? Sure it is. Proverbs 19, verse 17, he who is kind to the poor lends to— do you know what that— that verse doesn't just mean a guy homeless will work for food. The poor, anybody below you, anybody not as well off as you that you could help, and that does include people that are on a street, but it also is much more than that. It's helping people who couldn't do what you can do for them. Cindy and I have bought cars. Cindy and I have bought tires for single mamas so they'd be safe and coming because we could. We saw the need, of course. Nobody asked for it. We just saw the need, and we said, hey, let's, let's, let's take, let's get, send that car down to so-and-so and get four new tires on. I used to send them to Home and Tire. They're out, they're gone now. But uh, for 27 years. And it was a little thing. It was a few, few hundred bucks, but I could help somebody who was poorer than me. That's part of giving, isn't it? Give and it shall be given to you. What you make happen for others, I wish I could do more. Some people have done things for me that I could never do for them. But, but, but at my level, I, I help other people too. You know, so uh, these are just financial decisions. And God says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. You think that's a safe investment? Yeah, I ain't giving it to government. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I'd want to put it in certain people, but he says, you lend to me, and I will reward you. Not the person. I will reward you for what you've done. Uh, there are people in some countries like Haiti, and the parents' greatest dream is for their children to grow up, move away to another country so they can find work and have some hope. So how we handle our finances, whether it's a lot or a little, is so we can help a world that needs to be fed and that desperately needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you stay broke, you can't help anybody. If it's more blessed to give than to receive, you've got to have more than you spend. This is Jesus talking. It, you, you, nobody gets blessed in poverty. There's no revival in a poor neighborhood. People shooting and killing and doing drugs. Crime is at an all-time high. Where's the revival of being broke and poor? God didn't design you to be broke and poor. Third John said, my, my desire for you is that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. This is God's Word on that. I don't think that means I'm going to have a Bentley as a preacher. Okay, knock it off. Just because somebody abuses a truth, don't ever throw the truth out. You keep the truth even though people will abuse any truth. I'm aware of that. But I think God wants you, wants me, to do to prosper so that we have more than enough, not only for our needs, but to help others and advance the kingdom. It's that simple. It makes good sense. And then honor God with your tithe. That's 10% of your income. He promises to rebuke the devourer and open heaven for you. 
and you'll never be poor again. My grandfather taught me that principle, raising me in high school. He, I, every Saturday night, he made out his tithe and then certain gifts to certain things in Sunday school or whatever, and I watched him preach that to me from the time I was 18, rebellious, not going to learn, didn't want to go to church, had to go with granddad. And even in a rock and roll business, I would send my tithe home. I wasn't even a Christian. But I, I believe what granddad said. He says, you'll never be broke in your life, Ricky, if you'll honor the Lord with the tithe. And I did listen to that. Now, tithing doesn't get you into heaven. It just gets you out of debt and out of poverty. That's all. And God promises to bless. And I practiced it since I was 18 years old as a pagan. Works really. God's principles work for anybody. Isn't that good? I kind of like that. That's why you'll see people who aren't even Christian, who are very generous, they just do really well. Why? Because the Christian he's got so stingy, God can't bless him. Has to use some old pagan to help him. That's true. I'm not going to let somebody get my blessing. Proverbs 3, verse 9, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all your increase. There's your tithe. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your wine presses burst out with new wine. Remember, they didn't work on a cash basis when that was written. They were agrarian people. So God says, I'm going to bless your flocks and your herds and your crops and your wine presses. You're going to have more than enough. Number six, wise humility. Proverbs 27, 2. This is a quick one and a simple one. Let somebody else's lips praise you, not your own big mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Don't be your own PR champ. God says, don't praise yourself. There's remarkable connection in the Bible between humility and wisdom. Proverbs 16, verse 18, pride goes before a fall. Before Satan fell, he lifted himself up with pride. Before anybody falls, and we watch them all the time, God says the root of it was pride. Never forget where you came from. Never forget the goodness of God that made you what you are, put you where you are, gave you what you have. Don't forget the day of small beginnings, or pride will lift you up, and then you get real stupid. And Bill Gates says, success does bad things to people. It makes them think they can't lose. Everybody can lose. Everybody can. So be smart, be grateful, be humble. I don't think that means go around dragging yourself on the floor. I think it just means I have done well. I am very grateful. God has blessed me. I hope I'm a blessing to other people. That's great. That's a spirit of humility. Crawling on the floor is not humility. That's just bad posture. And it's, it's probably so people will see you too. That's called pride. <laughs> you set yourself up for destruction. Here's the last one, number seven. Wise commitment. This one's the most important. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean unto your own feelings or understanding. In all your ways, submit to God, and He will make your path straight. So what matters most is wisdom around life's ultimate choice. Wisdom makes for better friends, better character, better lives, better financial management, better workers, better communities, better citizens, better nations, and better parents. But wise people still get cancer. Wise people still get betrayed. Wise people still die. That's why wisdom has to be more than life management, and it is. Here's what Paul says in Colossians 2, that wisdom is a person. In Christ, 
are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's done something amazing. Wisdom is not just the ability to make good decisions. One day wisdom came in the flesh, said strange things no one had ever said before. Wisdom loved, and wisdom suffered on a cross, and wisdom died, and wisdom was raised again. And wisdom, thank God, is far more concerned than, than common sense and practical advice and navigating life safely. Wisdom bet everything on God the Father, dies on a cross, and gets resurrected on the third day. The writers of the New Testament realized all they had loved and all they had prized and all they had cherished about wisdom they found in Jesus. And so will you. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.